Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode of the Living Heritage podcast, we talk with Dale Jarvis, Executive Director of Heritage NL, and Lara Maynard, Heritage Skills Training Coordinator. Dale holds a Bachelor of Science in Anthropology and Archaeology from Trent University and an MA in Folklore from Memorial University. For many years, he oversaw Heritage NL's Intangible Cultural Heritage Office, which helps communities to safeguard their traditional culture. Dale has contributed as a board member and volunteer to many local arts and heritage organizations. Former newspaper columnist and author of several books, he is a tireless promoter of local traditions. Lara studied English and folklore at Memorial University and has been working or volunteering for local or provincial heritage organizations and initiatives for 20 years. A formal municipal outreach officer with Heritage NL, she is back on board to help deliver heritage skills training around the province. Hi, Dale and Lara, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, So just to start off, can we get a little bit of background information on what the Craft at Risk uh, list is and, and what the, I guess, the background on the research to do that was? The Craft at Risk list is something that we've been working on at Heritage NL for a couple of years now. Uh, we started a couple summers ago uh, having conversations with the Craft Council of Newfoundland and Labrador about uh, skills that exist in the province but uh, maybe aren't as strong as they once were. Um, there is certainly a, a concern about transmission of skills from one person to another or within communities. Uh, and certain types of skills seem kind of underrepresented in what we see in, in community life. So uh, we started off uh, by doing some consultations with the craft community broadly uh, and with community museums and archives across the province. Uh, developed a questionnaire around what people thought was potentially at risk, how many practitioners there were for certain types of crafts, uh, and started to pull together a a list of crafts that people felt were at threat in in some way. Uh, The UK uh, Heritage Craft Association had done a really lovely craft at risk document, which was kind of an inspiration for our work. And they were super helpful, giving us um, information on how they had compiled their information and how they had pulled their original report together. Uh, So uh, that's kind of how it started. Uh, And it took a while to get it up and running and get all the information pulled together. Um, But now we have this document that very clearly lists out uh, certain types of crafts and the level of threat we feel they are under. And you mentioned that some crafts were more underrepresented than others. Can you give an example of some of those crafts and, and why they might be underrepresented? You know, I think when we think of craft in Newfoundland and Labrador, I I think sometimes we tend to think of things like rug hooking and quilting and sewing, those kind of textile crafts. And uh, we have seen a bit of a resurgence in some of those things. You know, knitting has become very popular. I I think Uh, rug hooking has seen a bit of a resurgence in the last, you know, couple decades even. 
certainly uh, those types of skills are, are fairly well represented. You could go to any craft shop in the province and see some kind of textile-based uh, craft. There are certain other things that uh, you don't see quite as often. Um, one example that I've seen decline over the last 20 years, for example, is uh, birch broom making. I can remember there being people who would be on the side of the road selling birch brooms, or you would go into craft shops and you would see birch brooms for sale. Uh, and those have sort of dried up. You don't see those as often uh, anymore. Uh, so certain types of skills that um, maybe had a, a smaller base of people who were building those things, um, maybe some uh, very regionally specific types of crafts like uh, Inu tea dolls or uh, Labrador uh, coastal uh, grasswork basketry, you know, we those are um, they're geographically and culturally uh, specific kinds of crafts. Uh, so they don't have a widespread um, uh, you know, kind of dissemination in terms of craft skills that we see with some things like rug hooking, as an example. I think the other thing that we see with craft broadly is that uh, crafts that still have a use or a market uh, continue to be produced, but other types of crafts where there maybe isn't so much a, a, a use for those crafts um, or a ready market, we see those decline. Uh, one of the things that came up when we were doing our research, we had a woman come to one of our workshops in Spaniards Bay who was talking about uh, harness making, um, a, a woman who owned horses and ponies and said, you know, we used to be able to get some of this material locally. There was a, there was a man in South River who was a saddle maker or, or harness maker. And now everything we buy, we have to buy off island. Um, so because we don't quite use working horses or working dogs in the same way that, you know, previous generations might have, uh, the skills around creating those very, very specific work-related objects, you know, has, has declined. And so you mentioned uh, the market, and if there's a market, kind of those skills continue. Can you explain some of the other issues that came up and uh, came out of kind of this research? One of the things we did in the research was ask practitioners, you know, what, what are the challenges? Uh, so other things that they identified were things like access to materials that sometimes it's harder to get the raw materials for building whatever it is they, they want to create. Um, and, and that idea of um, uh, kind of finding experienced people who know how to do whatever it is, you know, so that idea of uh, there being kind of a local expert who can help you out when you're a little stuck. Um, so materials, skills, all of those things uh, were also identified by, uh, by the participants in the study. And I know that there's kind of different levels in, in the craft at risk list. Can you talk us through what some of those levels are and, and what they kind of mean? The craft at risk list is, uh, it, it, it kind of takes inspiration from the ecological movement. 
um, you know, where you would have species at risk. So we've, we've broken it down into three categories using the same categories that the Heritage Craft Association in the UK uses. So we have crafts that we list as being critically endangered, uh, which are those which may only have a few practitioners left, a few experts, uh, some of those skills that are very, very difficult to find people uh, to do. Um, uh, and then there are endangered uh, crafts, which are crafts which, while we recognize they are under threat and still face challenges, there are still enough people to see that that skill get passed along, but there's still crafts that we're concerned about. And then we have viable crafts, which are those crafts that have you know, people have easy access to materials or easy access to expertise. So things like, um, you know, knitting and uh, crochet work and, and rug hooking where you can very easily go out and find people to teach you and very easy to find the, the materials that you need. And I believe there might be one other category um, which is just extinct uh, for those ah. that might not actually be practiced in the province at all and and hopefully maybe they are in some small pocket and we can find out how they're being practiced or where they're being practiced but i leave, believe that's another uh, one of those categories as well yeah we we have one for extinct uh craft uh again this is something that we borrowed from the uk heritage craft association uh, just just to show that things can kind of disappear um, and, and hopefully maybe come back in, in some way. One of the, the one thing that we have on our list is rope making. Uh, and there really was uh, quite a large rope making industry in, in Newfoundland, uh, especially in St. John's. We still have Rope Walk Lane in St. John's. The name of the place uh, remains. Uh, and the rope walk was this uh, long, long building where rope was wound together, uh, braided together, and it, the building had to be quite long because you needed to, you had to make the rope all in one piece. Um, and as you know, kind of markets shifted and technology changed, uh, it just wasn't practical anymore to make rope locally. Uh, synthetic ropes kind of took over in the 20th century. Um, and, and so those old skills, uh, that were, they, they were lost. And there are a couple of people who have puttered around rope making more as an artistic practice, but that, um, that is a pretty good example of how and why certain types of craft skills can, can uh, go extinct to a certain extent. And can you explain some of the recommendations that came out of the Craft at Risk uh, report? Excellent question, Tara. Uh, one thing that came out of it was a real need to be able to partner people who have skills uh, with people who, who don't necessarily have uh, skills or, or people who might have kind of an introductory level of those skills with people who are uh, more advanced. Um, we want, it's not necessarily about teaching someone uh, skills that they don't have any background in, uh, you know, we want, we want people who already have an interest in craft and in making things uh, to be able to kind of advance their level of expertise. So out of that, uh, the mentor apprentice program was, was born. And Lara, I know you've been working on the mentor apprentice program as well as uh, doing workshops for Heritage NL. Can you explain a little bit uh, about your job and about the Mentor Apprentice Program? Mm -hmm. 
So my job is, I guess, in, in response to the need and, and the gaps in um, learning and training, training opportunities uh, that were identified in the crafts at risk list. And uh, one of the things that uh, Heritage NL has started in 2021 in response to that was a series of workshops uh, where we did uh, training for groups uh, the public or specific groups around uh, traditional skills. So we did some workshops around things like um, wriggle fence building or uh, conserving historic headstones and monuments, uh, some knitting and, and those kinds of things. But the other part of that that we're rolling out now and we have gotten a start on is the mentor apprentice program that Dale mentioned. And so we had our first deadline for that in December and um, notified nine successful applicant peers about that program. So we've got um, some peers of mentors and apprentices from around Newfoundland and Labrador at this point, uh, a couple in Labrador, one working on duffel work, which is um, a kind of a wool fabric. So they're making garments or mittens. Uh, we have another Labrador pair <clears throat> who are making Labrador Cossacks or Dickies. And if anybody is not familiar with that, you've probably seen pictures of uh, people in Labrador wearing a kind of windproof pullover coat um, that looks very suitable for the environment. And um, so we have a, a mentor in Mary's Harbor, Charlene Rumbold, who's working with uh, an apprentice, Katie Lee in Red Bay, around that topic. And we have uh, three sets of weavers starting uh, this winter. Uh, there's a, a pair in St. John's. Um, somebody, another woman in St. John's is working with somebody in McCovic. And um, we have somebody working on bark tanning, which um, is, I guess, working with leather, using stinky things like um, seal pelts or goat pelts. And we have another pair who are working on wild food. And another pair working on Rodney Pump design and construction, so boat building. That's uh, Jerome Canning, who's taken, taken on apprentice Chris Hogan, both working out of St. John's. And Jerome tells us that the particular method of um, construction that Chris will be learning uh, has only been used in this province in the last couple hundred years, a couple times, I think he said. So the, the process that um, Chris is learning is uh, traditional and um, not much in use anymore. So it'll be interesting to see how that project works out. And finally, we have a uh, mentor, Neil O'Grady, who is working on alien pipes or alien bagpipes with Robert Brown. And um, alien bagpipes are an Irish bagpipe. And uh, Neil both makes and plays them. And Robert plays them, but doesn't yet make them, is my understanding. So it would be uh, really neat to see how, how that works out. And, if you can make beautiful music for us at the end of the project. Hopefully. 
And this uh, mentor apprentice program, um, for anybody who's kind of interested, uh, what is kind of the background or the process of applying? And I know there's a few application dates that are coming up. Mm -hmm. We're, we have three application dates, uh, one in the fall. Our first one was this past winter. Our next one will be February 10th. And then there's one in the spring. So I think that's April 10th. Uh, our information is online, our application information. If, if you go to heritagenl.ca, uh, you can find the Mentor Apprentice Program listed under the Crafts at Risk section. And the, the background uh, and the information you need to apply for the program is there. You need to apply as a pair. So if you are a mentor, you, you need to be paired with an apprentice in order to apply. If you're an apprentice, you need to be paired with a mentor in order to apply. If you can um, pair yourself, if you know, if there's, if you are, for instance, interested in um, beading, for instance, beadwork, and you know somebody who uh, is a recognized um, beater who has skills and who, uh, can take you on and, and can teach you that, then they, you, you can apply as a pair together. If you don't know somebody who um, might apply with you, then there's always the option of getting in touch with us and we can try to help pair you up. And I guess the Mentor Apprentice Program is specifically for crafts that are listed as endangered or critically endangered. Um, I, guess, I guess because that's one of the focuses is to make sure that those skills get passed on. So those that are currently viable, certainly, you know, we have an interest in, but we're really focused on, I guess, those that are endangered and critically endangered for this particular program. Yes. So if you're interested in applying, you should read the Crafts at Risk document and look over the, um, the list for the ones that are designated as either at risk or sorry, critically endangered or endangered. Uh, because those are the ones that we're accepting um, mentor apprentice program applications around. Is there anything about the craft at risk list or the mentor apprentice program that you think uh, listeners should hear? I've been really impressed in talking with the uh, participants, how, how excited they are. Uh, everyone's been so positive and so thrilled that this project I exists. Uh, we've been having some Zoom meetings uh, with the mentors and apprentices, uh, and it's just really delightful to see how invested and excited they are about getting, getting started. And I guess one of the reasons that we're having this chat uh, for the Living Heritage podcast is because uh, one of the things that we're hoping to do is feature each of the mentor-apprentice uh, pairs on uh, the program, so you can hear from each of the mentor-apprentice pairs on kind of the work that they're doing specifically how they hope to, uh, well, I guess what their plan is and how they hope to kind of come to an end and pass on those skills. Um, and then hopefully we'll be able to touch base with them at the end as well. I'm wondering a little bit uh, what other things uh, we have kind of coming up over the summer and fall. Lara, are we looking forward to any workshops or anything? We'll be rolling out workshops again come the summer when hopefully things are um, safer and also it'll be fit to work outdoors. So um, we'll be looking forward to some more Wriggle Fence workshops and some other things come the summer. And if anybody is interested in those workshops, where could they find that information or, or, or keep in touch? A good thing to follow is our Eventbrite page. 
um, that's Heritage NL on Eventbrite. All our public workshops will be listed on there. You can also keep an eye to our social media. Uh, Heritage NL is on Twitter, Facebook, and also on Instagram. So for the Mentor Apprentice Program, I know we talked a little bit about how you can apply and, and kind of those skills that are listed as critically endangered or endangered are the ones that we're, we're hoping to have as part of the program. But also, I guess, as part of the program, is there funding associated with that or support to the uh, mentor and apprentices? Absolutely. Yeah, there is funding for both people. Often, uh, people who have these skills do it as maybe as a, a hobby or as a small business. Um, and often they're not really paid for their time. They're certainly not paid for their teaching time. So a really important part of the Mentor Apprentice Program is to ensure that that mentor person is reimbursed for their time and their knowledge. So when the partners come forward, they have to submit a, a grant proposal uh, where they can break down uh, their costs and whatnot. So things like travel and materials can also be included. There is a flat fee that goes to the mentor uh, and a flat fee that goes to the apprentice as well. Uh, and then there's money that they can also apply for, uh, for materials and travel and if they need specialized equipment or something. Uh, it's quite flexible in how that is, uh, is uh, divvied up. But each person or each each pair or each group of mentor apprentice the maximum uh, grant that they can apply for is ten thousand dollars so it's it's a it's a substantial uh, bit of money um, that can be spent over a year uh, to let them uh, you know have dedicated time uh, to spend teaching and learning this craft and I know one question that we have been asked um, throughout I guess the first deadline and the first application batch has been what, I guess, what is the deadline for this? What's the timeline? Do you have to work together, you know, every day of the week? Does it have to be over a full year? Is there any sort of really strict um, timeline that people have to follow for this? Or is it a bit more flexible? Timeline, we allow some flexibility in. So we recognize that the different skills or the different projects will have different demands in, ter in terms of the amount of uh, time that mentors and apprentices might need or want to spend together. So for instance, um, some of our current projects, people will be working together for a year and uh, they may be meeting once a week or once a month. Um, and that might be either in person or over Zoom or some other virtual platform. Uh, other programs, other projects are going for three months. So um, we are being pretty flexible about that. So we're, we're funding mostly projects that last from between three months and a year, but they um, need to be complete by March, 2023. Awesome, well, thank you so much for uh, giving me some background information on the Mentor Apprentice Program and the Craft at Risk list. Uh, is there anything else that you wanna add before we uh, finish off the show? If people want more information, they can go to the Heritage Foundation website and just search for uh, the Craft at Risk program. So that's heritagenl.ca, or they can just type in heritagecraft.ca and that'll take you directly to the page. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Tara. If you would like more information about the Craft at Risk list 2021, 
Visit the website as Dale has already suggested. This will give you background information on the research aims and the definitions, the issues affecting the viability of heritage crafts and some of the background that went into that. Some of these issues include training for practitioners, access to materials, marketing, public education, costs and taxation, globalization. For example, uh, Dale has already mentioned uh, training for practitioners, but access to material. So things like um, caribou, for example, is not hunted uh, in Labrador at this time. And so the caribou could be used for caribou tufting or the sinew might be used for snowshoe making. So that access to that material is no longer there. So it makes it more difficult to continue to make a heritage craft. As well, marketing was mentioned, and marketing is something that if people don't necessarily know how to market themselves, uh, they might not necessarily continue to make a heritage craft, or if there's just currently not a market for a heritage craft, so um, kind of making a market, making sure that um, things that might not necessarily be currently purchased uh, have a market. Public education is another big piece, so oftentimes people don't really know what goes into a craft. Um, you know, for example, just even a, a pair of knit mitts, you know, if, if somebody is knitting those for you and you get those for Christmas every year, you might not necessarily think about all the time and, and effort that goes into actually creating something handmade. So educating the public on what goes into heritage crafts is a, is a big, um, perhaps, issue uh, affecting the viability of heritage crafts. Uh, costs and taxation, of course, um, getting materials to, um, to the craftspeople. Um, has higher costs and, and often taxation involved, so that can be an issue as well. Some of the recommendations that came out, Lara and Dale have already talked about the Mentor Apprentice Program, but some of the other things that have come out of this um, document include networking, documentation, uh, entrepreneurial skills development, and accessible training and workshop opportunities for beginners. Lara's already talked again about the workshops, but one of the things that Heritage NL is working on as well is documentation. So um, as part of that documentation, all of the mentor apprentice pairs will be featured on the Living Heritage podcast, but we'll also be doing some photography and some video of the pairs at work, um, and we'll be featuring that on our social media, so our, um, our Facebook, our Twitter, and our Instagram accounts, also our YouTube. If you want to take a look through our craft at risk list uh, for 2021, there's also case studies on certain crafts. So for example, under critically endangered crafts, we feature some information about bark tanning and grass work. For crafts that are critically endangered, we touch on wooden window making and blacksmithing. And for currently viable crafts, we talk about ceramics. You can also see the full craft at risk list for 2021, including definitions for all of the heritage crafts. There's also additional references if you want to learn more about a particular craft or do some background research. Thanks so much for listening and look out for future episodes featuring our mentor-apprentice pairs. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>